Hey there, my name is Roy, and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly, and we're glad you've joined us. Well, last week we began a two-part mini-series on marriage called Till Death Do Us Part. And if you're with us last week, we talked about the baggage that you bring into a marriage, that we all have baggage that we bring into marriage. And if you don't deal with the baggage, that that baggage starts to pile up and pile up and pile up, and then you build a wall eventually between you and your spouse. If you don't deal with those issues, these, these barriers get so high that you either get to this point where you either accept that you're in a marriage that's nothing like what you would hope for, and you just decide to endure it, or you look for an escape. This is the case a few years ago with a Kansas man named Lawrence Ripple. At 71 years old, Lawrence walked into a, a bank, handed the teller a note declaring that he had a gun and he wanted money. And so the teller complied and handed over just under $3,000. And then Lawrence went into the lobby, sat down, and waited for the police to come and arrest him. When the police arrived, they arrested him, but they asked him, why would you rob a bank and then just sit in the lobby and wait to be arrested? And he said, I quote, I'd rather live in jail than to live at home with my wife. That, that, that was his escape plan. When the barrier got too high in his life between him and his spouse, he's just like, I'd just rather go to jail. It's better there. When he faced the judge, Lawrence was looking at 37 months in prison and probably was looking for the judge to throw the maximum at him. But Lawrence didn't get any jail time. Instead, the judge ordered two things. Number one, that he pay $227.27 to the bank. This was the amount of hourly wages lost when the, when the employees had to be sent home on the day he robbed the bank. The second part was this, that he got six months house arrest. True story. If you don't deal with the issues and don't have a healthy strategy when issues come up. They build up and build up and eventually you just give up. And so you either give up physically and you just walk out the door for good or you give up emotionally and you just completely check out. Like you both become, you're two, two people in a marriage that are living under the same roof but you're living completely separate lives. And you just realize this is not what I imagined when I stared into my spouse's eyes on our wedding day and it's not what god wants for you so the basis of this message is this don't give up on your marriage don't give up now before i jump in let me just acknowledge a couple things for those of you that are listening today and you have been divorced as soon as i preach a message like this where about not giving up on your marriage you feel like you just need to kind of look away or turn this off because this is going to be a message of guilt. It's not. I assure you it's not. God's grace is bigger than anything that you've done or anything that's been done to you. And we are not defined by those things. We're defined what God has done for us. We also know that there's so much that happens behind the scenes in a marriage. And what we see in church on Sunday or what we see on the outside is it doesn't always tell the full story. Behind closed doors, there are many marriages that are just hanging on by a thread. So if you feel like you're the only one, you're not. There are peaks and valleys to every marriage, and we've all been through them. 
But I want to encourage you, if you're currently in a valley right now that just feels like it's never going to end, don't give up. I think we understand that in many areas of our lives that anything that's worth anything requires work. I know I've played many, many years of basketball and as a coach, and I know if you want to be a good shooter in basketball, you should be shooting 300 to 500 shots every day. They say to become an expert in any area, you need to do something 10,000 times. We understand this, that in order to get good at your job, you, you need to practice and you need to work hard. We know that if you want to get stronger, get more fit, to lose weight, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take a lot of work. And when it comes to these things, we understand this principle. But when it comes to our marriages, there's this belief, this false belief, that it'll all just come very naturally and that love will always find a way. But marriage requires work. Now, some of you have been married a long time, happily married a long time, and you know this. You know it requires work. It wasn't always roses and, and romance. There were tough days. There were disagreements and there was apologies. Marriage means that you stick with each other through the tough times through the heartaches of life, through the money issues, through the family issues, through the, through the hair loss, through the hormone changes, through different health issues, through the ups and downs. I mean, you can't share years and years of your life with someone without experiencing some turbulence along the way. So marriage requires work and it requires perse perseverance because the best things in life require a lot of work. So don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. One of the reasons why you shouldn't is this. God hates divorce. How do I know this? How do I know that God hates divorce? Well, Malachi 2.16 says, I hate divorce. I mean, it makes sense. If God created the institution of marriage and God loves you, how could he not hate divorce when he knows what takes place leading up to divorce, during divorce, and after divorce. People who often understand this sentiment the most are those that have gone through it. They know the pain. They know the damage that occurs. It's like watching your loved one battle a disease. You hate that disease because you hate what it does to them. And so God hates divorce because it tears apart something he has joined together. God goes on to say in, the, in that verse, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. This morning, let's look at uh, a verse we studied last week, Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 6 to 9. Jesus is talking here. He says, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. So Jesus paints this picture of marriage where two me's become one we, and they are united in a way, in a, in a union of souls. It, it's like weaving together two fabrics. If you, have a, if you have an item of clothing and it's polyester cotton, a poly cotton, it's nearly impossible to separate the two items. They are one now. And so Jesus says that a man leaves behind his father and mother and enters into a new stage of life to be joined together in marriage. It's interesting. In Nigeria, there's a traditional ceremony 
that is played out in certain tribes. And in this ceremony, the, the young groom, he begins the wedding in his childhood hut, the, the hut that he grew up in. And his groom's been dressed in, in traditional warrior garb with, with a spear and, and, a, and a torch. They dance around the outside of this hut, chanting for the young man to come out and, and claim his bride. And part of the ceremony is that during this, during this part, there is someone standing at the doorway to the hut, the entrance way to the hut, blocking the entrance and not allowing the young man to come out. And that person is his mom. And so the ritual includes the mom begging and crying and pleading for him to stay. And it's all done in this very dramatic but fun way. And eventually he pushes her to the side and leaves the nest to enter into marriage. In North America, we, we have the most similar thing we have is when the, the, the pastor will say, who gives away this bride? And the father, well, he never usually cries and begs and pleads. He sometimes happily hands her over and says, I do. It's the same thing, though. This new union is formed and the old life is left behind. And so this tearing apart of this union grieves the heart of God. One of the reasons why the, the divorce rate is so high in our country, or even sometimes among Christians, is because we take our eyes off of Jesus. And what I mean by this is the disillusionment and the disappointment that many of us experience in marriage comes when we look to our spouse to play a role in our life that only Jesus or God can play. We see it in all kinds of our entertainment and in culture. Aretha Franklin in a song said, Before the day I met you, life was so unkind, but you're the key to my peace of mind. Barry Manilow had a song that says, I can't smile without you. Michael Bolton hit it big with his song, How am I supposed to live without you? How am I supposed to carry on when all that I've been living for is gone? At one point, the line that was voted the most romantic movie line is the, from the movie Jerry Maguire, where Tom Cruise says to Renee Zellweger, you complete me. See, listen, I get it. Love songs and those poems on Valentine's Day cards and, and movie lines, there's a lot of hyperbole there. But we often put a lot of pressure on our spouse to provide the things that only God was meant to. I mean, your spouse is a great source of comfort and strength, but your peace of mind comes with your relationship with God. Your spouse brings you great happiness, but unrelenting joy comes from God. Your spouse is meant to be an integral part of your life, but your spouse can't be all you're living for. If you're looking for someone to complete you, it should be the one who made you. There's a lot of pressure that we put on our spouse. And it's easy to see why marriages break down because of these unrealistic expectations. And so Jesus says in John chapter 4, Anyone who drinks this water will become, soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And this line is this line that he gives to this woman who has been trying to fill these voids in her life with numerous romantic relationships. And she comes up completely disappointed time and time again. And Jesus says, I'm the one that can fill this gap that's in your soul. I'm the one that you've been looking for. It's not fair to put that kind of pressure on anyone else, even your spouse. Stop trying to make your spouse the living water. 
Look to Jesus to do that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Another important thought when it comes to fighting the good fight is to put yourself in your spouse's shoes. To spend some time looking at life through their eyes. I mean, if you sit down and you talk to any couple that is close to packing it in, they'll often tell, paint this picture. They'll often tell this story where they're the victim and their spouse is the villain. And the longer they tell that story, the harder it is, it seems, to relate to their spouse or to see them in any other light or see themselves in any other light. For example, often when you uh, have a conflict where a couple has a conflict and you sit down and you ask them, draw, draw a pie chart. And in the pie chart, I want you to, I want you to sort of split the responsibility. How much of your, the problems in your marriage are you responsible for in comparison to how many how many issues that your spouse is responsible for. And a lot of times it's like, well, I'm responsible for about 3% of the issues in our marriage, and my spouse is responsible for like 97%. You know that there are problems in a marriage when you start to notice that neither person can say anything positive about the other. When neither spouse is willing to take ownership for any of the issues in their marriage. And all they see when they look at their spouse is negative, negative, negative. They're fixated on it and you start to see contempt starting to form. If you want to change things, you need to be able to say genuinely, God, show me the areas where I am responsible. Let me just, let me stop looking at the pie chart and the part that my, my spouse is responsible. Where am I responsible? Galatians chapter 6 verse 5 says, For we are each responsible for our own conduct. I mean, if we took this verse, that would be a big step. To own our part. The problem is, we struggle to see this verse and still not apply it to our spouse. Like we see this and we think, that's right. He needs to be responsible for his own conduct. I hope he's reading this. Now this isn't perfect science by any means, but whatever percentage you're, you're willing to own often reflects the percentage when you have a marriage that's broken, often reflects the percentage that your marriage can be fixed. So if you think I'm responsible for 3% of the the issues in our marriage, chances are there's a 3% chance that you're going to fix that marriage. See, it's easy to blame her. It's easy to blame him. But let's be real. If you're in a struggling marriage and your spouse changed everything you want them to change, but you stayed exactly the same, you're still going to struggle. In her book, Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me, psychologist Carol Tavris says this, The vast majority of the couples who drift apart do so slowly, over time, in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or own, her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels are not the assassin of love. Self-justification is. Our inability or at times even refusal to humble ourselves and And our need to justify our own behaviors is what cripples marriages. And as Christians, we should have a decided advantage in our marriages. 
Because we've been shown so much grace by God. We've been shown so much forgiveness. We've already admitted we can't do this on our own. We need a Savior. And so if we've humbled ourselves and cried out for grace, why would we not be more graceful in our marriages? How can we, in one breath, sing a worship song about how our God keeps no records of our wrongs and then bring up past issues with our spouse as soon as we get into an argument? How how can we celebrate God's grace for us and then refuse to give it to our spouse? I mean, if you are willing to believe that God is not done with you, that, that you are a work in progress, you are a work of his grace, why would you refuse to see the same thing in your spouse? This should be the secret weapon for a Christian marriage. This should give us a huge advantage. In, in reflection, keep your eyes on Jesus. Put yourself in your spouse's shoes. And lastly, fight for your marriage with your entire heart. If you'll choose to fight for your marriage with your entire heart, you'll be surprised at how much your heart changes. Giving up on your marriage because you don't have the feelings that you once had is the same as abandoning your car on the side of the road because it ran out of gas. I mean, work is going to have to be done. You know you're going to have to walk maybe for miles to the next gas station. And you're going to need to find a can. You're going to need to find some gas. And you're going to have to walk all the way back. And it'll be a lot of work. But you would do it because it doesn't make sense to just leave your car there. You know you can get it back up and running again. It's work, but it's worth it. There's a story from a Christian lawyer where he tells of a woman who came into his office looking to file for divorce. And the relationship with her husband was contentious and it was strained. And the husband had just been terrible to her. He'd been a terrible spouse and he was distant and he was miserable. And he'd done done nothing but make the, the last years of her life miserable. And she just had enough. And she was angry and she was bitter. And she wanted to get revenge on him. She wanted this divorce to drag out and cause him as much pain as possible. And so she brought this to the lawyer and said this is what she wanted to do. And the lawyer thought about it for a moment. He said, I know you want to hurt him. I know you want to hurt him as much as you possibly can. But if you do it this way, if you do it the way that you're proposing right now, it won't hurt him in the way that you hope. It'll be quick. It'll be painless. And he'll just be happy to have you out of his life. But if you really want to hurt them, here's what you need to do. What what we need to do here is we need to, we'll sign the divorce papers, but we will hold, hold them back for six months. We won't send them for six months until you tell me to. And during that six months, what you need to do is you need to go and be the wife of his dreams. You need to encourage him. You need to compliment him. You need to meet his needs where you can. And then in six months, when he's so attached, we'll just pull a rug out from under him and and, and we'll serve him with divorce papers. And he'll be devastated. She thought about it for a moment. And she said, that's brilliant. So they agreed. This was the the arrangement that they were going to come up with. Well, six months later, as you probably have guessed at this point, The attorney arranged to send out the divorce papers and the wife had changed her mind. She told him, you're not going to believe this, but we've fallen back in love and our marriage is restored and he's never been better to me. Now I know this story is very simplistic and there's a lot more complications that come along with a marriage, but I dare you to try it. 
I dare you to take on this attitude that I'm going to control what I can control and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can as a spouse and see, see what effect that has. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. A study from the University of Chicago noticed that, noted that in couples that they survey, 80% of couples that said that their marriage was unhappy were asked again in five years and noted that their marriage was happy now. 80% of the people said my, that said, my marriage is unhappy. Now, five years later, said that their marriage was happy. It was just a valley that they were in. It was only 20% that still felt in five years that they were unhappy. In, in the same study, two-thirds of divorce subjects admitted that they wish, that they regret, that they didn't stay in there and fight more for their marriage. And what can we learn from this is we can learn... Hang on. Fight for it. Don't give up. Guys, let me talk to you for a moment. One of my favorite movies and movies that many guys like is the movie Rocky. The, the, the story of a, this underdog boxer who gets a shot at the heavyweight championship of the world. And The reason why we love Rocky so much is, is because no matter how many times Rocky gets knocked down to the mat, he just keeps getting back up. Every time he seems like he's counted out, every time it just seems like there's no chance, he just keeps getting back up as if he does, almost doesn't know any better. And he just keeps fighting when the odds are stacked against him. That movie would not have seen a single sequel if Rocky had just been knocked to the mat the first time and decided, I'm done. This hurts. This is too hard. I'm just going to lay here. And it's not worth it. And just the credits start to roll. That's the end of the movie. It'll be the worst movie ever. Ephesians 5.25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. I mean, if you ask most men when it comes to your marriage, would you give your life for your wife? Would you take a bullet for her? The answer is yes. I would die for her. And for most men, it's no hesitation. You ask that question, would you die for her? Yeah, absolutely. But I won't go to counseling. Would you die for her? Yes. But I don't want to take her out for dinner. Would you die for her? Yes, but I, I'm not going to church with her. See, it's noble that you will commit to do something that you probably will never have to see, never have to actually do. It's noble that you would give your life for her, but then you won't go for a walk when she asks you to. You would, you'll die for her, you'll give your life for her, but you won't pray with her when she asks you to. Ladies, fight for your marriage. Don't give up. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on him. Now, let me just clarify one thing. This, this is not a justification for abuse. That's a whole different ballgame where you need to seek help, where you need to get away from that situation that you're in. But if that's not the case, where you're not being abused, stay in there and fight for what's broken. Fight for your marriage. For some of you, you might think it's too far gone. It's too broken. 
I'd encourage you to take the pieces and offer them to God. That before you quit, before you throw in the towel, remember these things. Look to Jesus to fill the things in your life that your spouse can't or shouldn't have to. See things from your spouse's vantage point and, and own your role in the brokenness. And last, fight. Fight with all your heart. Fight for it. Because deep down, that girl, that guy that you fell in love with all those years ago, and you stood in front of and said, I do, for the rest of my life I do, is still in there. And by the grace of God and with some hard work, you can reclaim what you believe was lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our, um, our marriages are outside of a relationship with you are the most important relationships in our lives. And, and for far too many people, this, these relationships are not what they should be. Uh, there's far too many people, they are relationships that once were, had so much hope, but now there's just, it's an endurance test. And it doesn't need to be like this, God. And I know it grieves the heart when it's not what it should be. And so, Lord, I pray today that there's, for these marriages uh, that of those that are listening to me today, God, I pray that you would just continue to, uh, to guide and to lead. And God, I pray for those that just think it's far too far gone, that they would just humble themselves, Lord. And I pray that they would just dig in and they would fight and they would do what they need to do and they would swallow their pride when they need to, Lord. And they would, they would see their spouse as some, someone worth fighting for. And so, God, I pray that um, our marriages, when we put you at the center of them, would be the shining example for other people, that when they look to us, they would see that as Christians we have something, a secret weapon, and is that we have been saved by grace, and that because of that being saved by grace, we now can offer grace to others, and most specifically, that person that we say is our spouse. So, God, I pray that you would bless each person is listening. Bless their marriage. And may there be incredible years to come. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.